This program is part of Exploring Hate, a reporting initiative from the WNET Group on Anti-Semitism, Racism, and Extremism. Well, this week marks uh, the, the one-year anniversary of the insurrection on our nation's capital. To many, the shocking images of violence and barbarism were surreal. The process of ratifying the 2020 election of Joe Biden by our nation's lawmakers inside the Capitol building came to a screeching halt, and they were escorted to safety as rioters breached the building to forcibly stop the process of democracy as we know it. While the attempt was unsuccessful, the growth of new movements of hate were evident. One of those groups was the white nationalist group, the Proud Boys. Fifteen were charged in the January 6th riot. Over the past year, the Proud Boys have reemerged, conducting several actions across the country, most recently right here on Long Island with marches in Patchogue, Bayshore, and the Saturday after Thanksgiving in the village of Rockville Center. Well, I'm Julian Phillips on this special WLIW-FM program. We've assembled a panel of leaders, experts, and grassroots organizers who have committed themselves to confront and deal with hate like the Proud Boys, and all manifestations of anti-Semitism, racism, and extremism on Long Island. Well, these, these groups like Proud Boys, Julian, in my opinion, are nothing if not completely opportunistic. And I think that they saw an opportunity out in Suffolk and they pounced on that. I think some of it also is, is where people dig their heels in and say, this is the America that I love, or this is America that I remember, or nostalgia, or whatever it is. And it comes back, I think, to culture and also role models. And we look around and we want what we want, what we know, what we've, what we've seen for our entire lives. Fear breeds hate and it's fear of others. That's what's going on here. And we have to stop othering. And we're joined by an all-star cast here. Congresswoman Kathleen Rice, representing Long Island's 4th District. Rena Ryback, Anti-Racism Project Long Island and Rabbi Michael Cohen from the Central Synagogue, Beth Emith in Rockville Center. I want to take this opportunity to welcome all of you to this program. And, you know, Rabbi and Rena, I want to start with you two first. I really want to get to the emotions of this. I want you to tell me, and I can start with you, Rena, on Rockville Center, what kind of community is it? And when you heard and or saw this march of Proud Boys walking uh, through the streets uh, in the business district of Rockville Center, what ran through your mind? Well... Quite honestly, I was horrified. Um, I had been on that street on Park Avenue in Rockville Center maybe a half hour before the Proud Boys showed up, as well as my daughter had been. We had separated while we were shopping. I am uh, My daughter is Latina, um, so she is a Jew of color. And that evening, after I heard that the Proud Boys had been there, I, I couldn't help thinking what, what would have happened had she been there when the Proud Boys were there as a Jew of color. How... how you know, no, no child, no, no person should ever fear to walk in their own streets. And that's what ran through my mind and immediately felt we needed to respond. Rabbi, uh, your, your synagogue, in, in a sense, was kind of ground zero, the focal point. And I know there was a counter rally that uh, was staged after this. But with all the things that have been going on in Long Island, uh, I did a, another special earlier uh, this year in June on uh, anti-Semitism on eastern Long Island, but we know it spreads all around. I live on Long Island as, my, as well myself. Because of, of, of this focal point, how did you deal with it? How did your parishioners deal with it? And, 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 and what went through your mind as well? Sure. It's an excellent question. First off, thank you uh, again for having me. It's wonderful to, to be with everyone. And, and Rena and I um, 
uh, Rena's a member of the synagogue, and and we go uh, go a little ways back. And uh, Representative Rice, it's it's good to meet you. It's good to see you in uh, sort of person. Um, I came here straight from the military uh, of, of 14 years, and I've lived in a lot of different places. And I pictured Long Island as this idyllic place that uh, <laughs> that it's it's peaceful and people get along, and there's a good amount of diversity, and everyone's kind of understanding and I, I, maybe a little bit like Pleasantville, and I know that's probably quite naive, uh, but that's what I expected. And when I heard uh, that the Proud Boys marched through, I, I was I was shocked, uh, and I was I didn't believe it at first. I said, "No, no, no, no. Who who really walked?" They said, "No, no, no. The Proud Boys are giving out flyers. They did the Pledge of Allegiance. They did you know they had flags and everything else." And I said, "Oh my gosh, what what are we going to do?" Mm. And being a synagogue, I, I don't. I don't know. I, I, I talked to the police commissioner of Rockville Center, uh, Jim Mafides. I spoke with the mayor, uh, Fran Murray, and uh, tried to speak with as many people as I could. And I, I actually didn't have a clue. And, uh, and Rena talked to me, Rena Ryback from the Anti-Racism Project, who's, who's with us. And she said, let's have a rally. And I said, that's a great idea. Let's have a rally. And, uh, and we got as many local leaders together as possible and had, had a great one on the, on the steps of our synagogue. And it was a beautiful show of of connection and love instead of uh, fear and hate. And it was a it was a beautiful way to respond to to this sort of thing. Absolutely. And a matter of fact, we're talking about a resounding response uh, to this, almost in the sense of a tidal wave against, I guess, uh, maybe what fifteen or twenty marchers uh, of the Proud Boys going through a very small. Congressman, I want to bring you in on this. Uh, you know, you you deal with so many things uh, in your district. And uh, we're all glad to have you there. Um, is there any kind of legislation in your mind, because you, you're a lawmaker, that could deal with groups like the Proud Boys? Specifically, as you know, the, the D.C. Attorney General or seen uh, sued the Proud Boys and the Oath Keepers, uh, trying to get money out of them to reduce their presence. But, you know, can legislation actually reduce hate if people have this embedded in their hearts and minds, what, what are your thoughts on that? Well, you know, Julian, we have the power to create laws that would give our state and local governments resources and tools to combat these issues more locally, um, whether it's in the classroom and community policing or by supporting victims. But, you know, remember, before I went to Congress, I was the DA in Nassau County for nine years, and we were able to pass um, hate legislation because we saw such an inc increase in hate crimes. Um, whether it was anti-Semitism, um, you know, ran the gamut. And what I, you know, look, I'm one of 10 kids and I, my parents had a sign in our house that said, you learn what you live. And if you are hearing the, this kind of rhetoric in your home from a young age, that becomes ingrained in you. When I first heard what happened in Rockville Center, I thought, Rockville Center is a pretty diverse community. Like, what's going? I, I get maybe some other communities that maybe aren't so diverse. Um, and up to this point, the Proud Boys have basically stayed in Suffolk County. But now that they're coming into a community like Rockville Center, what does that portend? And I do want to say, you kind of mentioned it, Julian. You know, for every one Proud Boy marcher, there were five other people who were standing there in protest to what they were saying. So I also think that we cannot have this conversation without talking about the need to rein in the Goliaths that have become the social media companies. There is so much hatred um, trafficked on our social media platforms. 
And this, you know, every child, it seems, has some kind of a tablet or a phone or access to these websites where they're learning this kind of rhetoric and this hatred um, without having any one-on-one communication. So I think that, you know, it's a multifaceted, you know, no legislation, you can't legislate what's in someone's heart. All you can do is educate. No, you, you, you're right on that. And um, I think that's a key point. One thing you brought up, Congresswoman, uh, about social media. Uh, we've seen what has happened recently with TikTok uh, and what they uh, did, the messages of, you know, violence in schools. That was, I think, December 17th um, in, in New York City. And I actually in the tri-state area. You know, I think talking to people and canvassing folks myself as a journalist and producer that there are actually a lot of well-meaning people out there that are misinformed because of social media. So they're seeing and they're imbibing and they're ingesting things that they believe because they see it there and it's false. And I, I guess the question is, what can we do about that? How can we monitor social media? I don't know if we can do anything legislatively wise. I don't know if the rabbi can do anything. Rena, as you go about trying to deal with issues of racism and hate in Rockville Center and Long Island, how do we deal with social media? Well, so I can just jump in, Julian. We have had a record number of hearings in Congress just this past calendar year where we have called all the CEOs of the big tech companies to account for we started with their complicity in what happened on January 6th. You know, to, to address the rabbi, first of all, rabbi, thank you so much for your service, not just in your community, but your military service. It was there was a bigger percentage of um, insurrectionists on January 6th at the Capitol who had prior military service or were active duty military. Now you say, why was there such a large number? Well, because they are considered a vulnerable community that are susceptible to influence and they have an overwhelming sense of patriotism that made them ripe to accept mis and disinformation and had them going thinking that they were trying to defend this democracy. So I, you know, I think we are trying to, there is a, Gen- general consensus on both sides of the aisle that we have to do something about uh, social media, even though Republicans and Democrats are coming at it from different perspectives. We both agree that something has to be done. And my hope is that very soon, hopefully next year, we're going to be able to come up with some regulatory uh, legislation. You know, I, I hope you're right on that. You know, you're going to segue right into something that the rabbi I want to talk to you about this. You served in the military, I think it was, did you say for 14 years? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so here are some facts here that were kind of astounding to me. And the numbers are still fluid, folks. But it was reported that the number of capital riot arrests of military law enforcement and government personnel, including former elected officials, rose to 52 among the 400 that were arrested. Uh, there is one report that said maybe one in 10 of the rioters were either part of the military or law enforcement. And I guess my question is, if we are a nation of laws... Uh, and uh, we are a nation, a nation that abides by these laws. How can we ensure that our laws are enforced if there may be, I wouldn't say significant numbers, but a sizable percentage uh, of, of people that are supposed to enforce the laws that are part of extremist groups? You know, and, and, and Rabbi, I want you to answer this. What, what, what were your recollections and your, your realities, your experiences when you were in the military? Something a lot of military members and veterans are very upset about is the term oath keeper. Uh, that's actually something that military and veterans have taken on uh, decades ago. 
mm. before there was any sort of uh, connotation to alt-right or far-right or anything like that. Um, there's this idea that uh, military and veterans signed up for life and we may be out of the military and I'm, I'm speaking a little, little universally, um, but the desire and the need and the willingness to kind of protect the freedoms uh, is goes, goes beyond just a tour of, uh, of duty or an enlistment. And I think a lot of it also for, for me, for, for social media, we can blame them quite a bit, but I, I see it as a bit of a bullhorn uh, that anyone can say anything out of. And there, there are a group of folks who I think are disenfranchised because there's, there's this us first them culture. And, and these, these folks have felt disempowered and like the, the laws or, or, or the, the, the people in charge right now, it's more of the them. And so when there's this January 6th thing or this political figure who can represent the, um, gosh, what was the term? The, uh, I'm sorry, I can't think of it. It was one of the things that people were calling Trump that people kind of embodied and, and took on as a flag. Well, we know one flag that they they they, they wave around. I see this on Gilgo Beach when I, I surf cast out there. It's the don't tread on me flag. I, I don't even know if these folks really know what they're <laughs> they know what that means. Well, I'm I'm an amateur historian and I and I love that flag and I love where it comes from and I hate that it's that it's kind of been taken and and you know brought onto this cause. I would love to wave it for the meaning that that I have, but it, it's been appropriated and I and I am very upset with that. Look, I just want to hold that thought for a minute for those folks who are just tuning in. Uh, this program is part of Exploring Hate, a reporting initiative from the WNET Group on Anti-Semitism, Racism, and Extremism. And we're joined by an all-star cast here, starting off with Congresswoman Kathleen Rice, representing Long Island's 4th District, Rena Ryback from the Anti-Racism Project on Long Island, and Rabbi Michael Cohen from the Central Synagogue, Beth Emith in Rockville Center. Let's talk about uh, some more of the emotions that are involved in hate. There are a lot of people out there that may be sincere about their beliefs, but we know that they are sincerely wrong. The question is, how do you change the minds of people who are sincerely wrong about things, about race, about hatred, about extremism, and, and, and make them see another side of arena. Talk to me about that. Well, it's through education. And the only way to do it is through education. And that is what the Anti-Racism Project works on. Um, fear breeds hate. Mm. And it's fear of others. That's what's going on here. And we have to stop othering. We have to accept people for who they are. And, and, and not... Um, fall into, you know, falling into the stereotypes of, of what we've been taught. And we have to deal with, you know, not just our prejudices and our biases, we have to deal with systemic racism, institutional racism. Mm -hmm. And within our project, which we run a, we run workshops and we have an eight week seminar and we bring in people, we've had 140 people graduate from our program and we go in depth. And we discuss the unfettered history of the United States, and we discuss institutionalized racism and white privilege, dreaded word, white privilege. Um, and we discuss, um, you know, the myths and facts of immigration. We discuss um, how to respond in racial situations. And it's, it's through education, and it's amazing to watch people go along this journey. Our, our focus is to take people who consider themselves to be non-racists, which is a very passive state, 
and move mm. them along to becoming anti-racist, mm. which requires you to speak up anytime something is wrong. And and we've been watching our graduates actually do that, and it's it's been wonderful. Yeah, but, you know, it's it, racism, uh, anti-Semitism, you know, extremism. It's it's, it's really everybody's uh, everybody's problem. You know, Congresswoman, I, I've got to ask you the fourth district. Uh, and you, you mentioned something near the top of the show that um, you might see some of these things further out east. And and at our first special, we talked about that. And, you know, the, the seeds of hate have been planted a long time ago in many communities in Suffolk County. Were you surprised to see this in uh, Nassau County, especially in Rockville Center, where the rabbi uh, and Rena do a lot of work? Uh, what What ran through your mind when you saw that? And well, these, these groups like Proud Boys, Julian, in my opinion, are nothing if not completely opportunistic. And I think that they saw an opportunity out in Suffolk and they pounced on that. And then over the past four years, I would say four or five years, they have kind of moved westward, if you will, and seen some opportunity there. Now, Rena said something that I think I'd just like to mention. Rena, you said that we have to accept people for who they are. And, it, and a lot of how we get rid of this this racism is through education, but you also described conversation. And what I can tell you as a politician, and this is not, it doesn't matter what party I'm a member of, I think what politicians writ large stopped doing over the last 30 or 40 years is actually listening to voters, listening to people, and meeting them where meeting them where they are. Instead of all of these politicians sitting in Washington or Albany or wherever kind of telling all of the masses, this is what you need to know. This is what we're going to do for you. So you have a very pliant, angry, frustrated population of people who now are susceptible to anyone who says, I understand how you feel. I know why you feel disenfranchised and we are the group for you. Not those terrible politicians in the Capitol in Washington. And that is a really powerful message um, that has been able to be effective over a much shorter period of time because this kind of disenfranchisement of voters, of the electorate, if you will, has been happening over the last 30 or 40 years. And both Democrats and Republicans, whatever your political stripe, we have all um, added to it. And so my conversations that I try to have with my colleagues on both sides of the aisle is, look, we created that we have to take responsibility for creating this problem. We have to come up with a solution. We can't just blame this person or that group or this institution. We are leaders and leaders are supposed to lead. And we have to do that by example. You can't have, you can barely have a, a um, kind or thoughtful conversation in Washington anymore. And people are seeing that. So we all need to kind of take a step back, push the reset button. And really, as Rena said, meet people where they are and really hear what their frustrations are. Well, look, you know, Congresswoman, that's so key. Uh, but what happens is now I think people are looking at our politicians and, and that they're playing off of that. And once again, not this being political, but you have a situation like the voting rights uh, uh, bill. You know, I mean, the Republicans all signed on that for, I mean, even Strom Thurmond, Thurmond signed that. Now you can't get one Republican to sign on to a voting rights bill. And people are looking at these things and they're acting on it and they're acting on the extremes. And unfortunately, you know, not everybody's like you. A lot of uh, uh, politicians, they, they get elected based upon the extremes of the primaries. 
and they're not leading like they used to. So we need more leadership. We need more people like you uh, uh, in the halls of Congress. Unfortunately, we don't have as many leaders as we used to have. Rabbi, I want to focus on something with you, uh, in fact, of all of you, uh, and it's called fear. And this has been mentioned when it comes to hate. I remember I was riding my bike with one of my um, editors and I was working at uh, Channel 11. Uh, she was now working with Dan Rather for a while. We had a bike ride along the Wanta Parkway over the ocean, about a 17-mile bike ride. And we were talking, and she's Italian, and we were talking about race. And she said to me, Julian, I really think basically it's fear. I guess the question I would have uh, for most people, we, we largely live in a segregated uh, community. The Nassau County is one of the most segregated uh, in the country. Uh, people live amongst themselves. I have my friends that live over near Atlantic Beach, and they have their Italian flags and Irish flags. You know, and as we don't see them. They don't see black people. Uh, they don't really uh, are not involved with them. I guess the question is, what are people so afraid of? I mean, what are they afraid of? You know, you talk about crime. Crime basically is insulin. Insular, you know, it's, it's white on white, it's black on black. What is everybody so afraid of? And isn't there a big enough pie for all of us to take a part of where we can all enjoy the rice and fruits of this country without being so afraid? Julian, I think, I think some of it also is, is where people dig their heels in and say, this is the America that I love or this is America that I remember or nostalgia or whatever it is, and it comes back, I think, to culture and also role models. Mm. And we look around and we want what we want, what we know, what we what we've seen for our entire lives. Mm. Uh, I was I was looking through a ton of different Jewish texts uh, before this, trying to trying to find a couple of pithy things to say. And I realized there's so many texts in Judaism and and Christianity, other other religions as well. But it's all about linking arms with those who are the other or those who are. Uh, you know, disempowered or, or those, those who need help. Um, you know, if, if your neighbor's house is on fire, you don't spray, you know, your own roof with water, you spray the other one, you, you help them out first. That's, that's what that's you do. And, mm-hmm. and for, for me, my role models in, in rabbinical school, there's one uh, rabbi by the name of Richard Levy, who used to link arms with, with Martin Luther King and go to jail, you know, when he was arrested at the same time. And we have Abraham Joshua Heschel, another rabbi, another, another scholar in Judaism who, who was speaking of praying with his feet. We, we, speak, of, we speak of voting with your feet, uh, but he was praying with his feet when he, when he marched. And so I, I think a lot of it also is who we see as role models, what we see as, as the ideal, what we're trying to achieve, what, what we're either trying to uh, pursue or get back to. And I think a lot mm. of that is what we see as our own values and our own culture. And if I see a group in trouble, my values, my Jewish values, and again, just because I'm a rabbi, there are other wonderful uh, religions and values out there. But for, for me, I just want to link arms with them. I want to say, no, you, you can't do this to this group because we've been, we've had this done to us also. And you know, the more people speak up for each other, then the more we become a community. And the more we yeah. can actually, you know, bind together and do things that are that are righteous and just. And without that, if we just look at other people and say they are the other, and as long as people don't come for us, you know, we're, we're doing just fine. Um, mm. But I think it's, it's looking past our, ourselves and creating a community with everyone else. I, I agree with the rabbi about linking arms, but we have to get to know the other people. And that mm-hmm. takes part by moving out of your comfort zone. Mm-hmm. So you, you mentioned Atlantic Beach. Well, Rockwell Center is the same thing. You say we're a diverse community, but it's a segregated diverse community. Mm-hmm. And that's true of most of Long Island. There are 291 communities on Long Island, and 
Black people live in 11 of those communities, essentially. Mm-hmm. So we have to figure out a way to change that. And that brings us to a whole other slew, which is good for another conversation about property taxes in schools and schools and how that all plays in. But unless you get out of your comfort zone and actually sit down, actively listen to the others, as we put them, um, it's not going to change. Well, I got to tell you, um, you know, this has been a great conversation. They always say time is no respecter of man. And I guess that's the case here. Uh, in this half hour's worth of discussion, we could talk for another hour or two or even more. I want to thank all of you for being a part of this. You all are doing great things, Congresswoman, and in the halls of Congress there where there's so much divisiveness these days. You're standing there strong, and we appreciate your efforts and the legislation that you can continue to come up with and try to work across the aisle with some of our other folks that uh, are not doing as much as I guess as they should at this point. Rena, of course. Uh, with the Anti-Racism Project, and of course, Rabbi Michael Cohen. What can I say? I'm a lay minister. I love you. Uh, Keep doing what you got to do, and and thank all of you for this. Um, And I would like to thank our guests once again, of course, Congressman Rice, uh, Rita Ryback, uh, Rabbi Michael Cohen for joining us. And of course, you, our listeners, uh, leadership support for Exploring Hate is provided by the Sylvia A. and Simon B. Poitier Programming Endowment to Fight Anti-Semitism. Uh, Sue and Edgar Wackenheim III, the Peter G. Peterson and Joan Gans Cooley Fund, and Patty Asquith Kenner. And for a complete list of funders, please visit pbs.org slash exploringhate. I'm Julian Phillips. Thank you for joining us for this important conversation as part of Exploring Hate, a reporting initiative from the WNET Group on anti-Semitism, racism, and extremism.